Good evening, and welcome to On Deck. I'm your host, Mauricio Molina, also known as Coach Mo. Tonight, a very special guest, Coach Josh Cathcart, the advanced hitting instructor at the Hardball Baseball Academy in Pearland, Texas. You may know Coach Cathcart as the baseball doctor. With over 100,000 Facebook followers, 69,000 Instagram followers, 26,000 YouTube subscribers, and 9,000 TikTok followers, Coach Cathcart has created an online presence in which he helps kids from 6 to 60 enjoy the great American pastime. Welcome, Coach Cathcart, to On Deck. Good evening, Coach, and thanks a lot for being on. Really appreciate it. Um, really want to say thank you ahead of time, not only for being on deck, but for the insight that you're going to provide us uh, into hitting and hopefully that really helps our listeners uh, just kind of get engaged and really understand what they should be looking for uh, and looking to accomplish with their swing. So thanks again for being on tonight. Man, I appreciate the invite. It's always great to hook up with guys, you know, around the country um, from different avenues, you know, all love the game and do different things to help the youth out. And I am always on board with that. So I appreciate you having me. Oh, great. So, so let's start with, the baseball doctor. I, I mean, I love it. How did the name come about? I mean, what happened? Somebody call you that? You happen to, you know, be out at a, at a tournament and somebody said you're a fix-it guy? Like, how'd that occur? Man, it's, um, it's, there's a lot of layers to that story, but in, in a nutshell, um, my business partner, Jessica Bowden, um, came to me with the idea. She started working at the facility that I was working at as a softball coach. Um, and she's very knowledgeable about the online marketing and everything else and just kind of had a bigger vision for it. You know, I was, I had never really thought about it. Um, I was enjoying myself. I was running teams, um, doing my, you know, individual instruction, my group instruction. She's like, you know, you kind of got a knack for this in a different way that I think people will appreciate. Uh, what do you think about doing a YouTube channel? And I said, man, I'm, I'm down, you know, whatever. And so we put some videos together and then we started doing the Instagram and, you know, the baseball doctor name, we were just kind of sitting around one day. She's like, what are we going to call this? Like we need something. And it just kind of popped up and, you know, we looked online and nobody had it. So we're like, okay. And I told her, I was like, man, I want to catch so much heat for this. (laughs) I was like, I don't have a PhD. I didn't play in the big leagues. Like people are going to be like, who is this dude calling himself? And she's like, listen, it's a catchy name. You know your stuff. Let's just get this rolling and see what happens. And it's just, man, it's morphed into more than I could ever imagine. Um, I'm blessed, you know, the, for all of the love and everything that I have for the game, like, the ability to share it with people and have it appreciated around the world at this point um, is pretty incredible. So it's been a lot of hard work. There's been a lot of up and downs. There's been a big learning curve. You know, doing an online business is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the lazy. Um, it never stops. So, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. It, it, like I said, it, it's been great. And the, the young players that I've been able to, you know, reach and hopefully help has been wonderful. Um, and now just, you know, getting guys like you inviting me. Um, I've had some invites to some other podcasts um, getting out there. You know, the traveling camps have, have taken off. So it, it's been great. 
Well, that's awesome. And, and you know, I'll tell you what, I, not to take away from your expertise, but your story sounds like so many hundreds of coaches across the country, uh, no doubt a lot of them talented, and you know, you're living out the American dream, uh, or yeah. at least the new American dream online. Yeah, and, and it's, just, it's crazy, man. The amount of information out there is, it, it's incredible. I mean, as a player now, I, can, I can't imagine having what these guys and girls have at their fingertips. Um, now, granted, like everything else, you got to sort through the good, the bad, the ugly. Yes. Um, but there is a tremendous amount of wonderful information available. Agreed. I agree, and I, I definitely agree about the sorting of information. I get a lot of parents that come to me with different videos, and I'm like, you know, let's, let, there's a different approach, and I'll, I can yeah. turn you on to some to some stuff. And I've been a fan of yours for years, years. Uh, and I, I love your videos and, and definitely share a lot of them uh, when I'm talking about, you know, how to make certain that swings are connected and so forth. But let's talk, let's dive a little bit into your, uh, into your background, uh, just for the okay. sake of our audience. And if you can, you're currently the advanced hitting instructor uh, at the Hardball Baseball Academy in Pearland, Texas. You are the baseball doctor. You've got, you know, all of these videos, these instructional videos that are great. How did you get here? How did you, because like anything else, you just didn't, you know, leave college and you knew everything, right? Like, everybody thinks like, you know, oh, he must know everything. It, 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 everything's this, a learning this, process. <laughs> this is true. So I am 41 years old and baseball doctor is like two and a half years old. So that should tell people something. I did not just come out and decide to do this. Um, no, so... I played. I, I grew up loving baseball. Um, my dad was a big time college player. My mom was a uh, very talented softball player. So it was kind of in my blood from the get go. Um, played up through high school, but I had to work really hard at it. You know, I was undersized uh, when I graduated high school. I was five seven, one hundred and fifty five pounds. Um, I had some offers to go to some small schools around, but um, that was in nineteen ninety eight. So we didn't have all of this recruiting and knowledge and everything going on. Um, so we were kind of left to our own devices. Um, my parents kind of let me do my own thing. They were, uh, they didn't get involved. You know, if I had a problem with a coach, I had to deal with it, you know, from a very young age. Um, they were always supportive, but we didn't ever do any like deep diving into the recruiting or anything. And so all I knew is that in my little town, in my little area, I was a pretty good second baseman and I was going to go and I was going to walk on at A&M and everything was going to be great. That's not how it worked out. Um, got cut at A&M um, and then ended up blowing my shoulder up and really didn't have anywhere else to go as far as baseball playing was concerned. Um, but I started doing like hitting camps in the summer when I would come home um, at our high school. Um, and then I did a boys and girls club internship in college station while I was in school there. Um, kinesiology major, uh, but it was in sports management. So got out of college and was going to work for the Astros or a professional team like that. Well, I learned out real quick that, um, sales was not my gig sitting behind a phone doing that. I needed to be up and about and. My, my high school coach called me just out of the blue. God works in mysterious ways. Um, high school coach called me and said, hey, I heard you were back in town. Would you like a freshman coaching job? Huh. 
sign me up. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, sign me up. So I didn't have a teaching certificate, and so I had to go through the process of that and do some, uh, like, teacher assistant jobs along with coaching the first couple years. But then I got my certificate, and I did, I believe it was six years. I would have to go back. It's kind of all runs together now, but six years of elementary PE. And that's kind of where the ideas for, you know, visuals and, you know, restraints and breaking things down for young kids really came um, together for me. You know, um, teaching, I tell people all the time, you teach a four or five-year-old to jump rope and to play kickball and to throw a football and to throw a Frisbee, you learn really quick what makes that process faster for them. You know, I had classes of 30, 40 little rugrats running around. You know, I had to make it as simple and as easy for them to do as possible to learn these certain moves. And it's just morphed over to my hitting. I was coaching uh, at the high school that whole time, you know, through the uh, process there. Was on the staff for a state championship team here in Texas, uh, Brazoswood High School in 2011, and then went to hardball in 2012. Uh, high school coaching then just wasn't doing it financially for me. Um, I just got married and had a baby. Um, was trying to, you know, get some secondary income. Got hired at hardball, um, and it just kind of morphed from there. You know, my clientele grew just in that area. Um, the methods, everybody was like, this is kind of new. You know, who's this guy, you know, using this PVC and using these balls and using these, you know, whatever it may be um, to teach. And I was there five years, and then Jessica came. And so we and then started, like I said, two and a half, three years ago. Uh, November 2020, actually, was when hardball was, or uh, baseball doctor was official. So it's been a journey. It's uh, This is 19th year. Um, here we are. Congratulations, because you've managed to create a living out of something that most of us, you know, use as a hobby or a passion and wish we could make a living out of it, right? I mean, that's a, that's a phenomenal success story. You know, I started out as a third, as a, the third assistant on a JV coach, which means I was volunteering my first yeah. year of teaching, driving 20 miles one way, you know, to, to go be a part of it because that's mm -hmm. what it was, it's, you know, close knit fraternity and you take the opportunities when you get them. So, you know, absolutely tip of the cap to you. Uh, so let's, uh, you know, I, I know you mentioned that you, you've got a partner in the YouTube channel. I, I just want to touch upon it a, a little bit uh, before we kind of dive into the hitting, but, you know, so someone came to you with an idea and what what was that like? Because I, I don't want people to think that, it, like you said, it's not for the faint of heart. I don't want people to think, oh, I just posted videos and like all of a sudden I've got these thousands of hits and then I just became the overnight success. Talk to me a little bit about what that was like starting a platform and, and actually getting people to listen because no doubt it began locally and, and you're giving it away, right? Like you're giving away drills, you're giving away instruction um, and, it, and I see that you're now uh, videoing or going live with hitting lessons and it's just phenomenal information that you're giving away. And it could not have started like that uh, and the followers didn't just grow overnight. So can you touch upon, uh, touch upon it a little bit? Man, I, 
I have to give Jessica um, most of the credit for the growth. Uh, her ability to learn marketing skills online, her ability to dive into the Instagram and the YouTube um, is incredible. I mean, she taught she taught me everything, you know, for it. She's like, this is what we need to do, you know. Um, basically, all I am is the hitting guy, um, you know. She kind of designed, you know, our website, um, the way that we took videos early on, where when it pops up on Instagram, hey, you know that's Baseball Doctor in that cage. You know, all our videos are done. Um, just very simple explanations for the drills, uh, I think really resonated with people. You know, everybody's thinking things are too complicated or what are these specific drills for? As far as the information and giving it out, I feel like that's, it's kind of like my duty as a coach. Like I want as many players as possible to enjoy this game and hitting is so freaking hard. And if you're going around, you feel like you're always shelling out money for this, that, and the other, and you're not seeing results and everything. Um, for me, it, it all boils down to like three things, balance, balance, and balance and if you have balance in your swing then the athletic ability or lack thereof is going to allow you to hit or not hit you know everybody makes it so complicated and sees these things but i mean just as a as a platform base i wanted to try to make it as simple as possible so that an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old watching my youtube um, can get out of it just as much as a dad or a coach looking for a new way of describing things or whatever it may be. Um, there was a lot of pushback, man. Like, and that's why, like, not for the faint of heart, like, you start putting your stuff out online, especially under the name Baseball Doctor. Like, before I posted that first video, I was like, man, we're about to see either I'm going to get laughed out of this place or people are going to, you know, kind of, um, hit home and be like, hey, you, you do know what you're talking about. Um, and once it took off, there was, um, it took a while to, to get going and then it just grows exponentially. Um, it's hard to ignore the quality of your work. I mean, it's really hard to ignore, you know, and, and the way you present it. it it's, it's very charismatic. It's very, you know, you're convicted in what you're doing and, and, and this is my feedback, so I'm just giving it to you, but I think it's great. Well, but I, I hear that from the people that are in the amount of support outweighs the negativity 95 to 5, right? Uh, but the negative is the one that you as a human are usually going to gravitate to and, it, and it's hard. But that's what I hear. And, man, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I'm just doing it. Like this is – I love baseball. Kidding has been the thing that, you know – when people came to lessons, that's what they wanted. When I was coaching in high school, they asked me to be the hitting instructor uh, just because my high school coach knew how hard I had to work to be a good hitter. Um, and so he knew that I understood for these kids of lesser talent and ways of being successful at a higher level. Um, and that's just kind of the niche that I've fallen into. But the passion that I do it, the way I talk with my hands, you know, people like, the way I present stuff, 
if you would have had a video camera on me in 2006 coaching at Brazoswood High School in a cage, it would look exactly the same as it does right now today. Oh, like that, that hasn't fluctuated. Um, you know, the learning curve um, is huge. You know, I'm learning all the time. There's some guys online that I coach and it's like, this is the dude that I'm listening to if I need a new idea or whatever it is. So, you know, it's not for everybody, but the, the formula was content, content, content. I interact. I try to get back with everybody, which is becoming an extremely daunting task, but interaction with people. Um, I feel like, at least for me, I got to get to know somebody a little bit, you know, how do they, you know, what, how do they respond to things? How do they interact with people? You know, what's the personality before I want to dive into their methods or anything else? Um, I think you have to kind of, you have to build a relationship, even though it's kind of online um, with people I've never met, but you know, there's people on Facebook that will have conversations back and forth. I feel like I've known them for a year and I know that those people are going and telling everybody, hey, go follow this guy. Um, And that's become second nature since the pandemic, right? I mean, being able to to cultivate those relationships online and doing these type of things, which is, I I think, in essence, that has helped, um, you know, really create those connections and realize that you don't have to travel to necessarily build those relationships. I think think that's great. That's great. Uh, let, let's talk hitting because I know that that's okay. what listeners are in here and they're, they're probably saying, come on, man, 17 minutes in and we're not talking hitting yet. <laughs> Get to the good stuff. Absolutely. Nobody, so, nobody cares where he came from. <laughs> um, I, I'm just going to start with what, you know, with what I tell kids and by all means, just, you know, hey, debunk what I say, no big deal. But um, the goal, the goal, and I, I always tell parents and I tell kids, have fun because it's no fun striking out three times in a game. You don't feel good about yourself. So we've got to understand the work that goes into how to make certain the game is fun. But what's your goal? You get a, you get a kid, you know, whether he's nine or whether he's 19, and you start working with him, like, what's your, what's your goal right there? Are you, ta- um, are you talking about game performance goal, or are you talking about practice goals in his sessions like a kid just coming in? Even better. I love the fact that you broke it down. Um, I... I'm talking about the goal for the game, or oh, just overall, overarching, um, because you want, and let's say game, because obviously that's really where, where everybody okay. wants to do well. Okay. Um, for any level, I always ask people when they come in, what is, what is the worst thing that can happen to you when you step in the batter's box? That, first of all, what is the worst? And, and inevitably, young kids say striking out, you know, somebody says, you know, getting hit with a pitch if they're young because it hurts or whatever. And that, no, the worst thing you can possibly do in the batter's box is give up a nap bat. And for me, developing consistent, repeatable moves, which will all vary based on athletic ability, age, you know, th- those types of things, but consistent, repeatable moves that you can trust. And, you know, People ask all the time, I see these swings in the cage and then we get out to game and I don't see the results. It looks totally different. If it looks totally different, it's because you do not have trust in what you were doing and you go into survival mode. And when you get into survival mode, you forget 
to do things. You're just trying to survive. Um, and so competitive at-bats is the number one goal for me, always. Have competitive at-bats. Um, if you're a young player, and even if you're an older player struggling, I chart when I was doing teams, and I asked my players to chart instead of doing average and all of that, do productive at-bats. See how many productive at-bats you have instead of worrying about, oh, did I go four for eight or did I go oh for 10 or whatever. Um, so for me, it's all about competitive at-bats is the goal. It's always about making adjustments. You know, we don't, especially with the older players, you don't want to see you swing into the same slider in the dirt two weeks in a row. You know, learn to learn to make an adjustments for the older ones. Right. And, and I um, tell parents all the time, and I tell kids as they get older, performance anxiety is real, right? I mean, and it's something that, that you have to learn to deal with and overcome. And I tell kids all the time, the harder you work, the harder it is to give up. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, when you feel prepared stepping into the box, that's gonna, you know, that's gonna overcome a lot of the anxiety you have because now your, your mindset changes, right? You're focused on what you have to do versus, you know, you don't know what to do. Um, and I'm putting it in that, in that context, but I'd like to know what you think or what you, you know, conversations that you have on a, in general, generally speaking with uh, performance anxiety. Man, and I'm, I'm with you. I think it's real. Um, I, and this is, and I don't want to get on too big of a soapbox um, on this. I, like we talked on the phone and I've got some pretty strong feelings about travel baseball. Um, just so specifically the younger kids, it can happen to the older kids, but specifically the younger kids, baseball was never designed to play five games in two days. It wasn't designed to play six games in two days. It wasn't designed to play three games in one day. And when we start putting eight year olds or seven year olds or nine, 10, 11, you know, on up in that situation where there's so much pressure to succeed and it takes so much mental focus and emotional control to play this game, especially on the offensive side, that you put these kids almost in a situation where they're destined to fail. Um, and baseball is already a game of failure. And so that anxiety multiplies. If I don't get a hit this game, I'm getting moved down in the order next game. You know, if I don't get a hit these two games, I'm going to sit on Sunday. Or what? So they're always looking over their shoulder. They're always worried about what's going to happen negatively if I fail right now. Um, and that that's the fault of the travel baseball setup. Um, so it creates that anxiety over and over and over and over again to young kids that don't have the mental awareness, don't have the emotional maturity to handle it. Um, Then on top of that, you put mom and dad are paying for lessons every month. I'm going to practice two or three times a week. I should be doing really, really good. And now they have an expectation which doesn't match up with ability or preparation because you and I both know how many times is an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old really going to go and practice properly on their own? <laughs> they're no, not. They're <laughs> never. And so you have to you have to have well-executed practice. You have to have emotional and mental maturity and control. Um, and those just aren't things that young kids possess. Um, 
And so that's, that anxiety to perform is just always mounting. And I wish that I had the answer. If I had that magic fairy dust, I would live on an island somewhere. Um, <laughs> but the best advice that I can give for that is less pressure at practice so that they're not getting that anxiety built up at practice, just less pressure at practice overall. Um, and then you have to build trust. You do have to do it enough where you are trusting in your mechanics. And then the biggest thing, and it's so hard and it would solve a lot of problems for people is if they would focus more on approach. Yes. yes. Focus on approach at the plate because swinging at bad pitches, taking good pitches, those types of things. I mean, that, that at any level, and it doesn't matter how good your mechanics are, if your approach thinks you're, you're done. And a disciplined approach is difficult to uh, enact. I mean, it takes time right? uh -huh. to create and uh -huh. understand splitting the plate up and down different zones. Um, and, you know, just drills where I personally I've sat back and go, you know, hey, we're not going to swing at anything but a fastball. And I throw three curveballs in a row and so anxious to swing the bat that they they don't recognize pitches and, and kind of staying back and doing those things. Yeah. But we you it's know, hard. set up to set up it, to fail so that you learn about yourself. But but like you said, without the pressure of, you know, you've got to understand that it's a learning process from a young yeah. age. So I, I completely I'm with you. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit and let's really get into uh, mechanics, because the term connected swing, you know, I, I think people are beginning to hear it, beginning to understand. Well, I, I wouldn't say understand it necessarily, but. They're hearing it, it's a buzzword. Can you explain the term connected swing, what exactly it means um, so that our listeners kind of understand because I, I continue to hear and, and, and try to explain to parents and kids that if your swing's not connected, you're gonna have a difficult time at any level, but more importantly, you know, those guys that, are, that I work with in high school and so forth, they're not recruitable. They're not recruitable, yeah. and, and it's so easy to see three to five swings on a video and understand that your swing's not connected. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give my uh, YouTube channel a little plug here. Okay, go for it. Yeah, yeah, you guys can check out the video on my YouTube channel. It's called Connection, Turn to Slot. And it deals with connecting the backside in the swing, so staying short, compact, um, and not getting disconnected. And basically, disconnected is exactly what it sounds. Um, I wish, you know, this podcast would have kind of a video of I actually have a bat in my hand right now, like <laughs> doing the connected move. But basically, if we're familiar with launch position, which would be when the front foot hits the ground, right? Uh, some people may have at that first toe touch. Some people may consider launch more at front heel plant. But when the front foot hits the ground, hands should be over the back foot relatively level with the shoulders, you know, front shoulder down, all that good stuff. As soon as the hip drive initiates, we should feel the backside of our body with the back barrel, however you want to describe it, connecting to the backside. Some people may call this the stacked position, where if you looked from the side, you would see the back, the rear shoulder, the hands, the hip, and the back knee all in a straight line. The barrel then would be what I call behind the top hand. 
um, where you're not getting the barrel casting and casting would be exactly like a fishing rod out big from the back shoulder away. Um, and you also can't lose your hands out away from your body before you get connected. The thing that people fail to understand is when I say people, I mean, most young hitters when we're working on this is how to turn and connect at the same time. Most will turn, but the back elbow may stay up high, leading to them getting real big with the barrel or getting real steep. Some of them won't turn and start the back elbow down toward the body, which then causes barrel dump or barrel loss. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, the easiest way to describe it is as you initiate the turn, you should become basically one piece. Um, it's hard because people will talk about separation. Oh, you got to separate your hands from your hips. You got to separate your shoulders from your hips. That happens in a blink of an instant, um, in a full swing at full speed. Once the hip drive begins, the backside should connect and we should feel like one piece is turning. And then you have your directional release to the middle of the field. Um, Who's a good? I hope uh, that and it, it, it's it's a good explanation. I think it's a good explanation. Who's a really good uh, MLB hitter that they could YouTube and see connect? And I'm not trying to have anybody emulate necessarily. Oh but, man, there's a lot of them. Vlad Guerrero's really good right now. Bregman um, comes to mind about that barrel, like really on the shoulder, like as Bregman as turns. Um, Tell you who else has a great one for lefties right now. Simplicity is Wander Franco. Um, him and like right now, he looks like Robinson Cano to me. And Robinson Cano is one that I watch amazing and and have studied forever. Um, Bregman's a really good one. You know, big league hitters pretty much all, but there's some that are tighter than others. Um, Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so those, but those guys, the ones that you're gonna see that would be more of that really tight connection guys, aren't the guys that are talking about, um, you know, snapping the barrel back or you know creating so much barrel depth. They're more guys that are that like knob to the ball idea. Um, that is generally tighter turned, better connected swings. Um, You know, there are some swings in the big leagues right now that if I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, dude, that plays, that's athletic. But I'm not going to say, oh, that's a super tight connection. You know, they're they're just freaks. They're freak athletes. They're super strong. And they can do, they can get away with a little bit of barrel away because their turn speed's so incredible. Absolutely. Let's let's talk Little League for a minute, right? Because I've got Little League parents that I'm sure are in the audience and when they're they're hearing connected, we start talking about Bregman. I, I don't want to go to like, hey, try to emulate this major league swing because you're not going to be able to at nine, ten. You know that's just yeah. not realistic. But being if they're not connected, right? Like you should be working toward connection. Obviously, hitting's a process. You know, there's three hitting coaches on a major league team. Everybody's always working on something. You have to either to maintain or to improve. Yeah. But if you're not connected. 
to those guys that are that are playing recreational, what's going to happen? You lose bat speed, which is crucial. You lose barrel control, which is crucial for adjustability. And you have to start sooner. It, it, make, it makes your swing slower, so your timing, you have to make a decision earlier. And as a hitter, we want the most time possible. We want the most time and space. Those two things go hand in hand. You have to create the space in your swing, which is created in stride, okay? When you take your stride into, some people call it separation, I just call it creating stretch. So take your stride into launch, you create space. That space gives your swing time. If your swing is slow and disconnected, you must start sooner. That those, if, if you're slower, you gotta start sooner to get to a point. The more connected you are, the better your decision-making, the better barrel control, the better bat speed. With all of that piles into now, if your balance is right, you have the ability to make adjustments. And if you start sooner, that's where you're getting your rollovers, that's when you're getting your bat drag and pop-ups, and this is why the kids are working hard, but they're not being successful, correct? Yes. And while everything, not say everything, sorry, I, I use words too much to say like everything and always, that's not true. But most of the stuff that you will see online right now from a highlight swing perspective, I'm not talking about like the drills that you may see for specific things, but the highlight swings that these kids and parents may see, they're home runs. Mm -hmm. Yes. They're home runs. Those are the A swing of the A guy at the A's level of baseball, okay? And so you hear, oh, you got to catch it out front. You got to catch – you got a kid that gets disconnected. The best thing you can possibly do for that player is move the tee back. Yes, yes. I love it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just yeah, sitting back. No. I, I talk about it all the time. I mean, I, I move a tee from the top of the plate and make them work all the way back to the end so that – they can foul off balls that they're laid on, get the barrel in early. Sorry, I got excited because you're saying things that I totally No, that's awesome. And that, no, that, but these are things that dads and everything need to know. Like, stop putting the tee out in front of your eight-year-old. Mm -hmm. Put the tee on his front, like in line with his front hip or even his belly button. Put it right in the middle and have him go that way. Um, that's the fastest way without doing any real like creative drills. That is the fastest way to create a connected swing. Move the tee up and move the tee back. And you have, to, you have to stay high with your hands and you can't lose the barrel because the tee's up. Right. And that's another thing while I'm on that. See, I get going. Go for it. Go for it. That's what they're here to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get going. Um, the high tee. The high tee is great. But I get kids all the time, they send me in videos for their analysis and they're working on a high tee, which I like, I love the high tee, but then they're popping it up. When you are working on a high tee, the objective should be to hit the ball into the ground almost. You know, line drive must. If you're working high tee and you're hitting pop-ups to the top of the cage, you're just creating worse habits. So make sure you're doing things correctly with the tee work. And you know, just to note on what you were saying about the uh, the the A guys hitting the A, you know, 
with the ace swing hitting the home run. What most people probably don't even realize is that it was probably a mistake pitch by the pitcher. Oh, for sure. And and they don't, you know, they don't get it. And those you know, guys, those guys, man. I know that people talk about Barry Bonds, like no, not missing a pitch. Guys in the big leagues aren't going to miss mistakes very often, and that's what happens. Okay. They they get hit, you know, three hundred eighty feet, four hundred sixty feet, five hundred whatever, you know, crazy number. Um, yeah, and everybody. That's what I tell kids all the time. If you want to go and you want to learn about hitting, don't go watch highlights. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I agree with that. That's that's great. Um, so, all right. So, what? Are, and I I'm making notes as I go, and I'm. Can you talk a little bit because this is this is always a conversation. Uh, Shoulder tilt in a swing, since you brought up the, the high tee. Shoulder tilt in a swing versus back uh, dropping the backside. It's not the same thing. People really misunderstand it. Uh, I, I remember talking about shoulder tilt and, you know, parents coming up to me going, uh, Coach, we don't, we don't want to drop the backside and, you know, his hitting instructor, this and that and so forth. And, I, you know, you, you want to pull your hair out a little bit because people don't understand the mechanics of a swing. And can you kind of touch upon that a little bit? Absolutely. And another YouTube plug. It's funny that you uh, say that. So I've, got, I've already got uh, two videos up um, on my YouTube channel. One of them is shoulder action. Um, and it's tilt, don't drop is the name of the video. Okay. Um, and then I just did, like literally just did a video last night on the difference between collapsing on the backside and actually dropping the shoulder in the swing. An actual shoulder drop, you hardly ever see. Like that, that's not something that you would hardly ever see. It would happen as you're starting to turn and you would literally be dropping out of posture toward home plate to have a true shoulder drop. Um, tilting is a must. Shoulder tilt is an absolute must but it also must be combined with posture. And posture is where dads, moms, coaches that may not know, posture is what people miss out on. They see the angles move in the shoulders, but they're not paying attention to spine angle. Tilting is when you have posture set correctly and can maintain the head stabilization. And you literally tilt your shoulders as you're turning. You must match pitch height with your shoulder height or with your shoulder tilt. Higher pitch, shoulders much flatter. Lower pitch, yeah, shoulders much more tilted. Um, It's it's, kind of hard. I mean, just through here without, again, if this were video and I could get up and show it. But collapse is anything that goes back of center like toward the catcher mm-hmm. right drop would happen as you're turning and you actually drop your posture meaning your head goes closer to home plate and down um an actual shoulder tilt is maintaining posture and working the shoulder tilt angle to the plane of the pitch all right and you know what it's just going to get your youtube channel some more hits <laughs> <laughs> because you've got it out it. there, and that, that's a good thing. All right, so let, let's debunk uh, another myth, right? So, so many kids uh, sit back and 
they're kind of, they turn their top first before their hip. They don't realize their hips got to get in there. Uh, they're kind of whipping the bat through and slapping, slap, I call it slapping at the ball. Um, does the bat, and, and I, I, I know that there's a, I know the answer to it, but I'm going to ask the question in a way that people can understand. Does the barrel, should the barrel go forward or should the barrel go backwards? Initially backwards. Okay. And then the turn occurs, right? And Yes. Okay, so that's, that's where that's where connection comes in. If the barrel doesn't go backwards first, you're disconnected. Yep. No, I hear you. It, so, so here's my so that so that we can try and explain it, just articulate it a little bit, so that all of a sudden little league catchers are not getting hit in the head with a barrel <laughs> yeah. this weekend. Um, what do we mean by the barrel actually working backwards? It, it's a simultaneous move with. The hip drive or the hip rotation, the initiation of the turn, however you want to describe it, there is a hand pivot, meaning for a split second where the hands are, they're going to pivot as you start to turn. That's where that the video I was talking about earlier, the yep. connection turn to slot. As that happens, the barrel should start to work back. And when we talk about back, like to our back, not back toward the catcher so down toward the real shoulder as we turn this would then get us into what bat lag would be um, as we come I always try to describe it to players because you don't want them you know that and I'm not going to mention any names but the whole snap move mm -hmm. you have to be very careful with that because you'll get kids that start to snap before they start to turn and if you get snapping back with your hands and letting that barrel go back toward the catcher, now you're just creating a long, slow swing again. Mm -hmm. So, yes, as you initially start your turn, the barrel should work back to the shoulder. Um, and then as you turn, it just it, it becomes all a release, right. you know, release and direction to get to extension. Absolutely. And the, ter the term turn is, is so huge uh, when you're saying it. And I, I just want to want to clarify that you're, you're turning your hands and you're turning the barrel at the same time into the into the plane of, of home plate, into the plane of the pitch right from your shoulder, because I see it. And I guess this is more of a question. How often do you see those hands drift? Because that's I see it so often. Those hands are drifting just way too far and then they're out front. Right, and just kind of popping up, rolling over, and they don't understand that those hands, uh, I call it slot, like you got to slot and turn, um, mm -hmm. versus, you know, these guys are kind of, I think they take the term hands to the ball, literally. And I think that that is, that is a, a key term, I think, from a very young age, that fathers that may not have played or did play or didn't play at a high level and don't know how to teach it, use that term and then you create the cast because the, the barrel's gonna follow the knob. And if you take your hands all the way out across, you know, almost you know, trying to get to the ball, that barrel has to come around. And I think that people truly don't understand that that initial hand-to-ball movement is an inch or two. It's just the, that first quick movement, right? That twitch muscle um, it is how I would describe it. But I, I would hope that you can do a better job. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think that that's good. And through, the, you know, through this podcast mode, trying to walk through and really describe it. I mean, I like it, stimulates my brain, 
Uh, I'm just trying to think about the easiest ways to do it. Um, I am not a hands to the ball guy. I think that that, like you said, that can cause problems for young hitters. Now, as they get older and learn how to get connected, then we talk about knob to the ball Mm -hmm. because you do have to be able to do that. But kids, especially weaker kids, don't have the core stability and don't have the turn speed. And so going back to trusting their swing and trusting their body, they can't trust it because it's not fast. And so what happens is then they go, okay, well, I got to get the barrel to the ball. And so I'm just going to take my hands that way. And that's when you get that flip. I'm just using my hands, you know, for every, and this is the way that I have described it on YouTube. And I try to describe to my players in the facility, every swing that you take, you should connect high first. It doesn't matter if that pitch is down and away. You don't take your hands straight down and try to go get that ball out over home plate. You would start your turn, and then as you're turning, you're connected now, hopefully, and then when the chest and belly button kind of get on the ball, when people talk about, you know, get on the ball with your chest or turn to the ball, at that point, that's when the hands got to go. And now you can take them wherever you want to go. You can go down and away. You can go up if you need to stay up. You can go middle, middle, wherever it is. But if you drift the hands forward or you get the hands going down on the backside, done for. So that that everybody understands, because I was just watching Coach on the video with a baseball bat, (laughs) you're turning first. Your hip's going to go, and then your chest, belly button's going to go, then your hands are going to go. Uh, and all too often we see kids with great eye-hand coordination get away with kids that are throwing at lower speeds, throwing their hands first ahead of their, ahead of their body, and then you wonder why they can't hit the guy throwing 78, 82. And I've, I've said, Coach, that, my, uh, that basically 85 is the, is the big change, the big difference. 80, 83 I, to 85 with movement, all of a sudden, you know, a successful hitter is an unsuccessful hitter when they see those speeds especially at the upper levels. Yes. The number was 88 for me. When I I was playing, um, if it got to 88 or above with a guy that could throw two or three pitches, um, that's where it it really caught up. And I see, I think 85 is a great gauge for that. Um, I think that there's not that big a difference, 80 to 85 for whatever reason, 85 to 90. Oh yeah, different. Big jump, and then nine. You get ninety plus. I mean, you're you know you're talking about your elite guys. <laughs> and then some kids are six four with a really great downward plane on their you know throwing, yeah. and all of a sudden that changes. You know that may as well be eighty five if they're throwing yeah. you know seventy eight to eighty two. So that's that's great. Can you talk about um, how difficult change is? Uh, you. Kids are gonna. Uh, kids are listening to this podcast. They're gonna go to your YouTube channels. They're gonna sit back and they're gonna stack it up, kind of like from beginning through, and and say, "All right, I, I clearly I'm I'm doing these things wrong, and I want to go see what he's talking about." How long does change take? And I and obviously the mental commitment to change, because I tell parents all the time when they when kids come see me, I'm like, "Look, you, you want to talk about change? Drop the seven to ten pounds that you know that you you want to drop, and then maintain that." We know that's so difficult. Um, it's, it, and I try, I try to use that as the example for kids 
to try and change a swing or train, you know, change anything in the game. But how difficult is it? What type of commitment? And how long before you see consistency in a swing if they're making good changes? Um, it all varies. It is the answer. It depends on the player. Um, obviously, their mental ability to grasp concepts, their body awareness to be able to put new positions and moves um, into play, and their practice habits. Um, now, there are certain flaws. Say, say that, that last that one one more time, please. Their practice habits. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So, um, you know, how a kid goes about his work is, is you know, paramount in creating new moves. If you are relying on a 30 minute or hour lesson once a week and an additional hour of practice on the fundamentals, I'm not talking about team practice, I'm talking about the fundamentals of hitting. If you're only doing an hour outside of that a week, you're, you're wasting money, number one, and you're looking at months. Um, if it's a kid who has some pretty good body awareness, is practicing three or four days a week, even if it's, you know, 15, 20 minutes, just very deliberate quality reps on what they are working on, you can have it changed in a week. You can have it changed in two weeks. Um, now, the dragging back elbow for young hitters, you're talking months. No matter who it is, if they have been dragging their back elbow for any extended period of time, it's, it's one of the most difficult things to fix. Be patient with it. If you're talking about a kid that rolls over really bad, that's a tough one too. Most rollover is timing, sequence, and strength. Um, you get a little bit of direction in there, but it's a tough one. And, and strength gets lost. Strength gets. I'm sorry not to cut you off, but strength gets lost, and I, I say that because I see kids like parents wanting to put oversized bats in kids' hands. Like, you know, they're swinging a 30 when I think they should be swinging a 28. They're swinging a 32 when they should be swinging a 30. They're going to a drop five before they, and they still can't swing the drop 10 correctly. And I think for all of that, you know, again, that you're, you're repeating poor mechanics. And I think that that's a concern. Yeah, I, I have a big issue with bats that are too big for players. Now we do overload training. Like I have training bats for strength reasons, but swing. What do you want from a bat? You want it to be fast and you want it to have, you want to be in control of it. That's it. Absolutely. Like when you're looking for a bat, you want it to, you want to be able to swing it fast and you want to be able to have control over it. Okay. So whatever that is. And, and know, is control, because I talk control as in the turn. Like, can I turn it and be on time? Right? See, I think more, I think more control, for me, control is more, like top hand strength, forearm strength, like being able to not where it's wobbly because right. your wrist can't support it. Now, once you get into the turn, how you're describing it, I would just call that maintaining barrel speed, the ability to maintain the bat speed, which if you can do that, you would have control. But for me, when I talk about barrel control, like you get a kid, if you got a kid, and again, I know we're not on video, so you can maybe describe this. If you got a kid that's holding their bat in their top hand only, like it normal, and it's doing like this, oh, because they, yeah, they can't, the they can't grip ready. it and, and keep it steady. Right. Yeah, if, if they can't control it with their top hand and get into their move, the bat's too heavy. Right. Um, you know, if 
they can't hold it straight out from their body it, holding it at the knob from their body for you know 20 seconds the bat's too heavy um that's a really so, good gauge that's that's great and i've got you know i've, I've seen kids parents have asked me what do you think i'm like i think he's swinging and loaded bat and can't turn the barrel he gets, yeah. he gets in a good slot and then the you know the the bat swinging him. <laughs> so, no doubt. You know, and that, no like, doubt. And I, I use that term all the time. I'm like the bat. Don't let the bat swing you. You swing the bat. Right. Um, and a lot of that can be just with the balance work too. Hold it. Hold your swings for two seconds when you're done, and see if you can hold your balance for two seconds. Young players, young players everywhere, up to 18 years old, take full BP swings and see if you can hold the finish for two seconds. Wow. It'll tell. It'll tell you a whole lot about your swing. Absolutely. So, so your dragging back elbow and and your rollovers, that is a that is literally an overhaul because of most likely sequencing, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and sequence is so important. I was going to mention it earlier. We were talking um, about using the hands first and everything. The tornado effect. Yes. You have to understand the tornado effect. Okay, and it hasn't changed since baseball was invented, and it's never going to change. Ground, hips, core, shoulders and back, out the arms, into the hands. Mm-hmm. If you can picture that and just kind of – and that's the easiest way to describe it to people. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and people see it and still kind of don't understand. I think people end up with, uh, you know, as listeners are out there – understanding that hey at 10 at 8 at you know 12 the results of bad pitching or or pitching pitchers trying to get the ball over the plate and your kid hit you know hit the ball really well that's great but if the kid loves the game and the kid wants to move on or you want you know that's the family's commitment that you know you should probably commit to to doing it right i mean because it's so hard to undo it right it's so difficult to undo it yeah and i uh I just, man, I tell people all the time, if y'all can't commit to this the way that this needs to be done, don't spend your money, number one, and don't put pressure on your kid. Like, that's the thing. Like, you can't expect, you can't expect good play from players that don't have good fundamentals. Like, that's, it's. Yes, and I, and I agree with you. And, and again, this is, this is for our listeners to really, to, again, it's, it's an educational platform so that people get information so that they know and that they're able to go out and say, hey, this is going to help me understand what little Johnny has to do because he loves the game and I want him to love it, you know, like we love it and and be a fan of the game and still go out and play adult league. I still go out and play adult league, (laughs) you know. Hey, if my shoulders would hold up, man, I, mm -mm, shoulders can't do it. I hear you. I, I, there's a lot of ibuprofen and icing after my after I play. <laughs> um, mine are mine are already torn. I don't think any amount of ibuprofen and icing is going to help. I'm still going to wake up with the same pains. Wow. Uh, okay, so so now people are sitting here listening to this and they're like, "All right, I you know, what do I go look for in a good hitting coach? What should they? What should I be hearing? What should they when I interview people or I go for a, the first lesson and?" Do I stick with somebody? And and people are paying. I mean, seventy dollars a half hour. People are paying. I mean, they're paying a lot of money. Up to one hundred and ten dollars an hour, one hundred twenty dollars an hour, uh, in our area for hitting instruction. And you know, and I I guess, what would you recommend 
parents going out, you know, looking for a hitting instructor, what should they, like, what are the key points they want to know? Uh, well, first of all, do background checks. I mean, just make sure that, you know, you're not dealing with a criminal, like literally, like background checks. Um, and then you need to make sure that, you know, they have some sort of word of mouth, you know, is you can go out online. I know not every hitting coach is online. You can't go look them up like you do the people that I deal with, but um, you have to do some research on them. It's just like anything else. You know, you're making a huge investment with this and who you choose to be around your child um, is extremely important and you should do your due diligence. From a hitting perspective, questions. Do they ask questions of the player? You know, what do you feel? What do you think your weaknesses are? What have your results been? Not, oh, you're going to come in and do this. <clears throat> Every child is different. Um, if you do a, you know, if you get to do an initial evaluation lesson before you sign up for your month or however long, three months, whatever the package is, um, make sure that your kid vibes with them. You know, I've had, I have a, I have a very strong um, personality. Just, I get excited. My voice gets raised. I get really energetic. Um, and that's really like off-putting to shyer kids um, where my hyper-competitive players or players that have had brothers or sisters that have come to me and know they like it, like they vibe off that, but it's not for everybody. So you have to make sure that the, the uh, personalities mesh. Um, as far as a knowledge standpoint and everything else, if somebody is not using technology this day and age, uh, whether it be tablet, even a phone, but if you aren't getting a breakdown of your kid's swing in the first or second session, um, you're probably missing out on some vital information. Um, now, that's not to say there are some very good guys, old school guys out there that probably don't have it. But for younger kids this day and age, technology and being able to see their swing and break it down is a must. Um, that's really it. I mean, you can, you know, I, I'm obviously not one of those guys. Oh, make sure he has playing pedigree, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's very good instructors that never played in the big leagues. There's very good instructors that never played high level college. You know, um, I didn't play one single game of college baseball. And so um, if it's, yeah, great. It's, it's, it's a big decision, it is. And it shouldn't be one that's just taken lightly and it shouldn't be one that you just walk into and you go, oh yeah, I'm coming because so-and-so said you were good. Like there has to be more to it than that or should be if you're investing the kind of money that you are. I agree, I agree and that's, that's great advice. Um, any advice to uh, high school players? Because we got a lot of high school players that are listening in, uh, guys that are really uh, dreaming, dreaming of of D one, you know. And, and we try to on our on the podcast really trying to make certain that they understand that there's various divisions of baseball, all have good baseball, and not to not to do the suicide D one thing. I think that's become like my uh, my subtopic almost, but. Um, but can you give any advice to high school guys that really want to play at the next level uh, about making certain, you know, that their swing's recruitable? Um, I, we can talk about swings in just a second, but I'm just on that topic. I was watching the Cleveland 
Don't remember. Cleveland is somebody yesterday. And Shane Bieber was pitching for Cleveland. Won a Cy Young a couple years ago, two or three years ago. And they were talking about it. Dude was a walk-on at a community college. And now he's winning a Cy Young in the big leagues in 2019 or whenever it was. There are so many different ways to achieve. And at the end of the day, your work ethic, um, your resilience, um, the way that you carry yourself, you know, don't get a big ego. There's a lot of dang good ball players out there in the world. Um, get in where you fit in. Basically, that's the key. Get there. Get to college. Um, and then you go from there. You make your bed at that point. How hard you work, if you can compete at, you know, you go to a D3 Juco and you go up there and you tear it up, guess what? You're getting a D, D1 call or a D2 call. You know, you get there, get to college and check your ego at the door. Not everybody is going to be a D1 guy. That is a very small percentage, you know. Um, we have guys that go D3 Juco. We have guys that go D3. We have guys that go D2. And those guys end up getting drafted at some point. You know, it's it's not D1 or bust. You see it all the time. And I understand from a player's perspective, that's what you want. And why wouldn't you? Like, if you're playing baseball, why wouldn't you want to go to, in y'all's case, you know, UCLA, you know, out here, it's University of Texas or Texas A&M or LSU or, you know, whatever that is. I understand the goal, but you have to be a realist. And if you aren't dominating varsity level baseball, when I say dominating as a hitter, I mean, you're hitting 400 or higher. You know, your on-base percentage is 500 or higher. Um, you're hitting, you know, five to 10 home runs, maybe more. Uh, those types of things you're not going to go play D1 baseball straight out of high school. And having an understanding of how good those guys really are is crucial. From a swing perspective, you must have a swing that plays with upper 90 or not upper mid 90s velocity. You must have adjustability to pretty much big league level off speed. We're talking sliders, curveballs, whatever. Um, But not everybody possesses that. And especially in high school, you go and you play Juco baseball for a year and you see 88 to 92, you get comfortable with that. Okay. Now, now I'm being able to see it. I understand it. I can play this game at a little bit higher level. Your talent will ultimately weigh out. You're going to have to work extremely hard. If you're a lower level guy and you're not a D one from the get The D one guys have to work just as hard, right? Everybody has to work just as hard to get to the big leagues. And those are the type of guys that are recruited. Kids with great work ethics because they're talking to their coaches and that's one of the questions, right? Because you don't want a guy that's going to sit on his talent or what his talent is at the moment and never get the most out of it. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, we tell our guys at the academy, when we do our recruiting for our juniors and seniors, um, unless it's obvious, like if you obviously have a guy that's already, you know, 90 plus on the mound or something, you're like, okay, man, but the regular, a quote-unquote regular high school baseball player, work from the bottom up. Go get you a D3 JUCO offer. If you get that offer, okay, don't sign it, don't do anything, keep going, see if you can get you a D1 JUCO offer. No, you can't? Okay, how about a D2 four-year? No, you're not getting those either? Okay, how about a D3 four-year? No? 
Okay, so now all I have is my D3. Mm -hmm. You take that. At the end of the day, okay, I've done it. Nobody, I can't get on anywhere else. This is my end. This is where I fit. And they you know? want you. They and they want, want you. you. And you're going to be on a strength program. You're going to be, you know, regiment. It's not like it's like, you know, recreational Absolutely. baseball. <laughs> Absolutely. And you, and that's the way that we do it. You know, get those lower and then move your way up. And at some point, somebody's going to say, nope, you're not good enough yet. And that may be at a D1 level. That may be at a D2 level. That may be at a D3 level. But at some point, someone is going to tell you, no, you're not good enough. And now I have to work that much harder. But getting into college and playing college baseball it you know for some kids it's a dream come true but like we were talking on the phone you got to be comfortable too yes you have to be comfortable in the environment you have to be comfortable with your coaches you have to be you know uh, just comfortable because if you're not comfortable the chances of playing good baseball or doing anything well is not good especially when you're talking 18 19 20 year old kids Definitely true, and and you're you're looking at you know a lot, especially with uh, with the COVID situation, people getting two years, you know now you're mm -hmm. facing kids that are 24 years old still playing, throwing hard, uh, and you're you're 18, you're 17, 18 years old and haven't experienced that level versus guys that have for four or five years. Um, it's yeah. it's definitely eye opening, and I think people, um, like kids especially, kind of miss it and don't realize that any baseball at the next level is good baseball and it's great structure for you academically, and it's a great environment, yep. and you're gonna make friends for life. Yeah. yeah. That's what's gonna happen. Um, so it, any advice to high school players about their swings, like, hey, this is what's gonna get recruited, this is what's not, it doesn't have to be uh, a long thing, but just what would you say to, to high school kids? But the swing has to play. I mean, and, and there are certain elements of a swing that are musts. Like I said before, balance, balance, balance. Mm -hmm. that, that, that is a must. Um, and then you have to be able to hit multiple pitches. You have to have adjustability in your swing. Um, and the bat speed must be there. Um, you know, everybody's load is going to be a little different. Everybody's hand placement at launch may be a little, little bit different. But once you hit launch position, a higher level swing is a higher level swing. It's connected, it has proper um, direction, and it has adjustability when needed. And if you can put those three things together, you're gonna be okay if the talent allows. You know, some people, I'm sorry, you just weren't meant to play high-level baseball. You know, I've had players that I have trained since they were 12 years old, and they get up to be a junior, senior, and it's like, coach, I'm doing all the workouts. I'm strong. I'm doing, I just, my eyes, my reactions, I can't lock into an approach. It's just, it's so hard. And, um, you have to dedicate to the craft. You know, it's, it's one of those things. You, you can't just, you can't just do it for fun. Quote unquote, you want to have fun, but you can't just do it for fun and hope to be elite. Yeah. Cause it becomes a job at some point and something you've got to maintain. Yeah. And I, you know, kids talk about, oh, I want to be here on the beach or I want to be there. You know, I tell people, I'm like, you've got to have the mindset of if they want me to play in a winter league in Alaska, I'm going. Because that's the truth. I'm living, you know, I had a coach, uh, a coach of the uh, Nevada Athletics, Coach Dave Ming, has said this more than once. You know, it's not enough to love it. you got to live it. 
And yep. you're definitely living it at that college level. Um, so, and even at the high school level, some of these travel ball teams that are playing, you know, these, uh, these high Oh, areas. yeah, I mean, as a high school player, if you're being serious about it, it's got to be a job. Yep. I mean, you, you got to attack it with your time management, with school, with practice, with social life. You have to attack it like a job with time management. So, Coach, I'm going to give you your shot at your closing thoughts or advice to, to listeners, anything that I may not have asked or that, you know, you definitely want people to know. Man, we covered a whole lot. <laughs> there we did. <laughs> There's not really, you know, that much more to be said other than if you have young hitters and you're just you're starting out. When I talk young, I'm always talking like 8 to 14. Make sure that the movements are repeatable. And make sure that they get connected. I mean, it's it's a big thing. Launch position and then connection. Um, people can reach out to me. I answer back on Facebook and everything if they want just short, quick, you know, little answers to things. Um, I do the analysis and customized practice plans um, via my website. If people want to shoot me video and have swings analyzed and whatnot, there is a fee for that. Um, the YouTube channel is out. Uh, so... The information's there, man, and I just I don't want to make it more complicated than it is. But balance, balance, balance. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's so important that you know I, I can't reiterate it enough. Uh, and we appreciate your time and, and giving us the insight. That was uh, Josh Cathcart, the advanced hitting instructor at Hardball Baseball Academy in Perland, Texas. Coach, thanks again for joining us here on, on, on deck, Coach Mo, and I can't wait to get this out. I think it's going to be great. Man, I appreciate everything, buddy. It was great talking to you. We, let's run it back sometime. Absolutely. Thank you so much.